Maybe I have to say good morning, good afternoon, and good night because we have people all over. <laughs> so it's very nice to be here. I have friends on the screen, people that I don't know, but I'm eager to know more and listen to. And I will ask you to just introduce yourselves, bringing uh, how collaborative leadership is connected with you today and what's your current position or where you are. Ladies first. I can start. Ladies. Well, I'm calling from New Zealand. My name is Sandra. I am part of Inspiro. There is a network of entrepreneurs uh, and companies that have been using collab collaborative and participatory leadership for the past seven years. And for me, why is this connected with me? It's because I really believe we need resilient to build resilient companies right now. And with the level of complexity we face in the world, it's completely impossible to have just one person with all the answers. So I've been noticing for the past 15 years working with this, that this is a path to resilience and to complexity. That's me who would like to join. I can go next. I'm Anne Skelter and I'm... Um, senior engagement consultant at Thought Exchange, which is a young company. Um, we work online and we support leaders, mostly in education, K-12, higher ed education, but corporate corporations as well, to collaborate with their stakeholders. And we, allow, we support them to do that both in small group situations, but as well at scale. So we run a school district to be able to um, talk to students, to engage with students, parents, staff, community and bring them together around the problems they're trying to solve maybe it be at school safety or others or it might be just progress they're wanting to make on something like personalized learning uh, some aspect of of their school district that they're wanting to move forward on um, i think for me though I, I retired and then i went back to work and i went back to work for thought exchange because it is at, at its core talking about and supporting collaborative leadership. So we operate in that way as a company, um, but we also support others to, to um, operate in the same way. Thank you. I can go next. Samantha Slade, I'm calling you today from Montreal, Canada, um, from the company Percolab. We're an international network of organizations working in the realm of co-creation, co-design, collaborative leadership. And uh, that can be at an organizational level, at a system level, ecosystem level, social labs, et cetera. And I think uh, what's really kind of stirring in me around collaborative leadership these days, my background is anthropology. So it's the little habits and reflexes that really create the conditions for collaborative leadership to thrive because I'm like Sandra really believe that this is something that we really need to get right for the, all the great social innovation projects that are out there to be able to thrive. Well, I could go next. Um, my name is uh, Andrew Earnshaw and I live in the mountains in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. Uh, I'm the executive director of a nonprofit society that brings the voice of family doctors to healthcare reform. Uh, my background is community development, economic development, not medicine per se. Um, and I think I would build on what Sandra said. I, I agree that Collaborative leadership is required for complexity, but uh, the complexity that I am impacted most by, I think, is political complexity. When you're trying to shift a system like publicly funded healthcare, um, 
there isn't really anybody in charge. We sometimes use the analogy that uh, it's like the Greek gods. You know, there is a Zeus, there is a government, and there's Zeus. But if you know, you know your Greek mythology, Zeus wasn't really in charge. There's a lot of independent actors, um, and so we see uh, collaborative leadership technique as a as a way to bring those independent forces to the table and actually make change possible. Cool. Maybe I'll go next. Hi, I'm Carlos. I'm co-founder of the Happy Startup School. Um, so we are building a community of entrepreneurs, change makers, business owners who are looking to do business differently. I think uh, there are people in our community are fed up with the old model of doing work, which seems to be very, very hierarchical and top down and puts a lot of pressure on the founder. And what we're trying to do, do and see and see is how we can create space where people can uh, form loose partnerships over strong visions, uh, but have that based on really more authentic relationships and transparency about what they want from their life and their work. And so for me, the interest I have in collaborative leadership is really how that relates to personal goals and ambitions and how you share those real authentic ambitions with other people so that you then collaborate with the right people. I can go next. I am Jos Schumacher from Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, and I'm linked as change agent and what I call a development facilitator of EMO, uh, that is an international consultancy bureau uh, that I am joining at the moment. And uh, within EMO, they talk a lot about horizontal leadership. I think that it is quite the same than collaborative uh, leadership, that it, 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 it is focusing something similar. And we also, as Fernando remembered, we were looking for this within our family company, Terra Viva, here in Brazil. Uh, and that is the reason also that I am interested in this discussion and this thinking. And I uh, understood that Fernando was inviting me to uh, join this, uh, not as a speaker, but as a listener. So, well, I can contribute if, uh, if, if possible, uh, but main part, I think I will just listen. <laughs> yeah, Jos is a, it's a very important person for me and I've learned a lot with him. And maybe one thing that we can start and we can start with you, Jos. Uh, let's just remember, I, I'm from Brazil, but I'm living in Canada. So that's why I'm connecting the, these people across because everyone is looking at the same topic, but in different cultures. And for me, this is lovely to, to, to see how people understand the same topic in different perspectives. It's very rich. So I will invite you just to, to start this uh, conversation sharing, uh, what is your first memory with collaborative leadership you have? And maybe someone who has a, a nice story can follow. Well, well, uh, I, can't, I cannot remember when it was, but since, uh, since I know myself, I'm worried about the, the human aspect of a company also, so that it is not only 
profitable for the shareholders, but it is a good place to work also for the co-workers. So this human aspect uh, was always determinant for me. And within our company, it was always, it was something like a choice. You have to choose whether you make profit. So maybe that there are years that you are really well on the profit side, but you are not so well on the human side. And now we are in a situation, and I think that is due also to collaborative uh, leadership, uh, that people are working together in a way that they contribute towards the, the mission of the company really, and that it is that they together are achieving more profit. So then both uh, are rising, the human profit, so it is profitable for the persons who are engaged in it. They learn a lot, they uh, are realizing what they really want, and it is profitable also for the shareholders. I think that is, well, the first time in my life now that uh, I see the both link it together that when you uh, when you make possible that people really work together and show their can bring up their own creativity to the common goal then you will also see results of the company that you of the organization that you are part of and I saw this within Terra Viva, that is our family company here in Brazil. I hope this can a uh, little bit answer your question, but... Fernando. Uh, uh. I have a micro story to share. Yes, please, Samantha. It's completely on the on the other spectrum when when we talked to, when I heard the invitation about a collaborative leadership kind of um, story from way back when what came up for me was about 25 years ago when I was in my first career as a teacher and I was working in the Canadian North and we had all the different grades together in the same classroom. And, uh, you know, I was teaching kids to read and write while others I was you know, we're at a much more advanced level. And so everybody in the class had their own portfolio. And when it was time to uh, figure out what they were gonna do or focus in on their, on their writing, they would open their portfolio and they would say, they would check in with me and say, this week I'm learning how to do my punctuation correctly at the end of a sentence. And I would be like, well, how is that going? And they'd go, well, I checked in with my classmate whatsoever, what's his name? And he, he corrected my last text and these two were correct and this one wasn't. So it looks like I need to practice again this week, maybe two or three days before I move on to my next point in learning to, to write. And, and, I'm, and I, when I think about collaborative leadership, it's this one, this, this person owning their own learning process and having the support and going and asking others for support in their, in their learning and then reporting to their teacher in a way which we're having kind of a, a supportive conversation. And it feels there's something about that that really felt like collaborative leadership. It's the first thing that came up for me. I have a education story as well, Sam. Mine, um, mine goes back uh, many years when I first became a principal. 
um, in a small school district and I had no experience and I had no training. I went to a one week short course at the university to, they told you in a week how to be a principal of the school. And that very school had had, unfortunately, um, a pedophile working within it for a number of years and a number of the students had been um, impacted drastically and families impacted drastically um, by that, that individual. And it was, uh, although he had been charged and was incarcerated, when I went to that school, um, the superintendent said, that's a long time ago, it's all over, um, just carry on. And I learned within the first three weeks that that, in fact, was not the case. It was not the case for the parents or the students. Um, I was standing at the photocopier with, with the um, school admin assistant one day. She was photocopying and she just started to cry. And she said, I'll never forget the day that I went to deliver newsletters to that man's classroom. And he had, um, and then to find out that he had been doing that to kids when I was in such full trust of him. And in fact, that day he had a child sitting on his lap while he was reading. And um, so we learned very quickly that this was not over. And in fact, this, the community continued to be in crises. So no training, 34 years old, um, naive, and I did have the most amazing staff in the world. And they, some of them had been there and we began to collect their stories, um, began to work together. And the only way we made it through that was through collaboration. And I, I think I was so open, although at that point, I think in education, not all principals acted in a collaborative way. I, I had no choice and I learned a lot from that. And in fact, went back and studied that years later to understand what was it that allowed us to move through it. We became a very successful school with a very strong culture and very committed parents and students who cried when they left the school. And it was a beautiful place to work and to be. And um, it, it takes me back to something um, that you said earlier. It's, it, what we found was it was creativity um, around a common goal, applying our creativity. How are we going to make our way out of this? And we had no one else really to teach us or to rely on. And so it was that creativity, that commitment, that passion to get through this, that, that, um, that true collaboration that, that allowed that to happen. Well, maybe I will share a tiny story now because it's education as well. So the three, <laughs> three of us sharing about education. So for me, the first memory I have was when we co-founded a Steiner school in Brazil and we decided that the school would be, uh, we wouldn't be the owners of the school, although we donated our time and even money, but we wanted the school to, to be run by the community of parents and teachers because we knew we wouldn't stay much longer in that city. It was a small city by the coast called Parachi. So then we designed the school to, to, completely be run by the participatory leadership. And then it was very hard. My previous experience was as an entrepreneur. I had a company of 250 people in five different countries and you, you know, they would follow what, what I would say. And it was much easier. And then suddenly we had a community of parents and teachers and we had to find agreement and to, how can we listen to everyone? How can we really be represented? And so I said, wow, I need to learn because this is very hard. It's much harder than 250 employees. So, and then then it was 2005, I went to do in Anthroposophy a course of a leader as a facilitator and, and that changed my life because I 
wow, it's much easier being an entrepreneur myself. It's so heavy sometimes. And just finding structures in a way to invite everyone to co-create and to share the responsibility, it was so lighter, but it was very hard at the same time. And just looking backwards now, the school has 12 years. We left this town eight years ago and twice they called us and uh, with some problem and we said well we are on the other side of the world so how can we know what is best for you but the way we can support you is by donating the time of an experienced facilitator to help you find the answers and we've done this twice and never again and they just overcame a huge challenge in january that they had to move to another place and the community built the new school in five working bees by themselves so for me that was a big learning for me as well well I have a story that isn't to do with education <laughs> um, so myself and uh, my business partner we went into business together because we came from structures that felt very hierarchical uh, felt like we were doing work that felt purposeless it was just work to keep us busy rather than work that felt creative and, and, and had some kind of direction and so we kind of vowed whenever we, we, wherever we worked and if we worked together that uh, we would put happiness as our core side of our business model. And for me, happiness is essentially doing stuff that aligns with who you really are. And that's how we wanted to grow the company. I think partly because we're lazy, we hate managing people. So we didn't want to have to tell people what to do. We wanted to have people in the company who had the freedom to actually make decisions and feel like they could actually contribute. Uh, so it was very an, in, an instinctive approach to how we started our first company, that we would bring people on, that we would listen to what they wanted and they needed and what they wanted to do outside of work as well as inside work and see how we can help them bring all of themselves to work because we thought if they were happy personally, then they're going to perform better within the business. And if they understood where we were trying to go and we were transparent about what we were trying to do with the business, then they'd have a better idea of how to contribute. So for me, I had no idea what collaborative leadership was at the time. It was more of an instinctive, I, I, don't, I can't work in a structure that, in, a, in an environment where it was just so top down or so um, constrained in terms of how you could work and live. Yeah. Well, I'll, uh, I'll take a stab at this. Um, Fernando, when you first asked the question, I just immediately went back to my first uh, job. I had moved, I'd left university and I had moved to the mountains, planning on skiing, not planning on working at all. But I volunteered at a poverty advocacy uh, service that works with uh, people uh, with low incomes, doing uh, effectively poverty law work with them. And um, it, I, I sort of lucked into a job. The person in charge uh, of the organization never would have hired me. Um, but she was away on vacation, and so I got this job. Uh, and that, that sort of set me on this five-year journey in an organization that was really uh, led by uh, a strong sort of 1970s feminist masters in social work. Um, and so a lot of the organizational theory that underpinned what we did was uh, really sort of collective feminist collective theory, which I think is uh, probably one of the core foundations of, of a lot of what we now call collaborative leadership. But I'm going to take that story and, and turn it into a question. Um, because in that experience, some guy from business school 
you know, who lucked into a job because the person who should have made the right decision was away and is now suddenly in a place really didn't have nearly as much to offer in a collective as uh, on the other end of the extreme, the woman who ran the place. And yet she ran the place with this sort of really strong egalitarianism. And so one of the things that I've been dancing with in my application of collaborative leadership is this idea of being in right relationship with differentials in capacity, uh, in competence, um, and even in privilege, you know, which is often the underpinning of those two things, which overlays another sort of interesting political uh, challenge in the context where, where we want to be uh, collaborative with everybody. Um, so I'm curious what, if others have danced with that topic a little bit, like how do we, how do you, how do we juggle with those kinds of differences? Not only from a sort of a, a sort of being right and fair perspective, but also from getting the best outcomes in terms of the work we're achieving. Not everyone does contribute equally. And we wouldn't want to lose uh, the strengths of the strong. Yeah, I can remember one story that stood out for me. It's uh, when we are in the, in the field with an outward bound expedition with young guys or even adults. We, we go from the spectrum from being the, the leader, the main leaders are the instructors. So we know what we'll be doing and we know the safety rules. So if you don't do our work at the beginning, people can die simply like that. So we have to be the leaders, autocratic, maybe for a couple of days. And then we start to release the, the leadership for the group. And at the end, people will lead themselves. So they will be a, a, a collaborative group leading and taking decisions and deciding everything together. But every time they, they need support, we, we are there for them. And as we are more experienced in the field, we have to be there. So it's our responsibility to be available and to be paying attention on what is happening. So I, I see this uh, for, for the leaders. We are in a, in a group sharing leadership, okay, but someone needs to be paying attention all the time to, to just be ready and to be supportive for, for people. So anyway, just came to my mind when you asked this. Sandra. Yeah, maybe I can ask some because maybe now we could just start going to the nuts and bolts. So maybe some could share a little bit about, because you've been doing this in so many different organizations in Canada, in France, in different places, in Barcelona, even in Brazil, when we collaborate together. And from your experience bringing collaborative leadership to organizations, maybe you can share something that you learned in the past year that you didn't know, you know, something recent. So share a story, something that you've learned in the past year that you didn't know about it. Wow, there's so many. I have been learning in the past while that, um, Sharing out leadership doesn't mean we're all doing the same, right? There, we can still be with our differences. And so it's inviting in people to understand where your strengths are and understanding where the strengths of another is and to being able to call each other up for our strengths. And that takes a long while for people to catch. It doesn't mean being equal. It means being in our full potential, each of us. Right. And so sometimes, I, you know, some people might go, oh, I need to be like the other person or do this other thing. And so that can create, um, I don't know, confusion in a group for a while. But the one point that, that's come to mind for me most is around uh, the topic of strategy. 
because I find that in collaborative leadership, if there's one place where things can start getting uh, misconstrued, it's around strategy because we often associate the strategic decisions with leaders, right? And so um, when you have somebody who's new to a domain or a field, I mean, in our organization, everybody comes in, everybody partakes in uh, organizational decision-making. So the, strat the strategic one is the one where the strategic decisions, that's about going, I'm hosting a process where this, this strategic decision needs to be made. And so if I'm hosting the strategic decision, it means I'm not making it on my own, but I'm illustrating the possibilities, the consequences, the different like subtle details that I can see from my years of experience strategically. And I'm able to bring that to a group so that together we can make that strategic decision. And that's difficult. And, and, and there, there can be all sorts of things that are going on around that, but it, it, it took a while for us to be able to name that explicitly, that around the topic of strategy, there's, there's confusion, sometimes projections and everything. And once we were able to, to, to figure that out and to be able to say, oh, this strategic decision, here's a person who's the best for exploring it, and, and, and we can separate out the actual moment where the decision is made. It's not necessarily an anecdote, but it gives you a little bit of a feeling of a pattern that we've been kind of uh, sinking into better in the past year. That's very nice. I, I had a recent experience with some as well in a team retreat of an international organization in Brazil, and strategy was one of the bigger topics. And it was so interesting because the CEO was going to present, okay, this is the strategy. And we just said, can we suggest a different approach? Maybe instead of you saying anything, we can ask everyone about what they already know, and I will harvest everything that they know. And in the end, only in the end, if you see that that's something missing, then you can uh, complement. So he was very nervous, but in the end, it was so beautiful to see this coming up collectively, and it was all there. You know, he could just point out. So maybe anyone would like to share a story of something recent that you've learned. You don't need to, but you, if you want. An interesting experience around supporting a school district to design their strategic direction. So not doing the strategy about it, but what are our strategic directions going to be? It's a small school district in British Columbia in the mountains, Andrew, different mountains than yours. And um, I was amazed at this superintendent who was charged with his board to have his community deeply engaged in setting those, those strategic directions. The, the issue of language, I think, is a huge barrier often in school districts. It was not in this one, but it's one that, that we are finding ways to support school districts to overcome. But the, the big one was around the whole idea of the social capital. Who, who you know, so often our face-to-face -face meetings are set up that, with a bias towards our extroverts and um, those who have more confidence speaking speaking publicly and so creating a, a session with these with the, these people um, and bringing in as many voices from the community as possible so what we did was we did a thought exchange which is a open-ended question that goes out to or to a question or two that goes out to the community and it was students parents teachers staff 
um, around um, what what the most important future direction is for our school district. And they had over 2,000 people participate. And then we did our analysis on the, the results and brought it back to a community meeting. So there were teachers, parents, students, uh, principals, senior leadership, school trustees, and they were tasked with pulling out of the thought exchange, the perspectives and the thoughts, the ideas of the people in the community um, that came out of the thought exchange, and they were tasked together to synthesize that to come up with five strategic directions or five or six strategic directions. And there were tears in the room at the end of that process because people were so excited to think that they'd actually pulled their entire community into the room through the thought exchange and then synthesized together and co-created those, those um, directions together. So it was a very inspiring um, experience for me and one that in which I saw uh, an over, how we could overcome some of those barriers um, around you know, lack of social capital, language challenges, um, which we can do through S SMS and things. So that's a story that I love telling because I, I love to be in a room with people who end up in tears as a result, happy tears as a result of something they've, they've done together. Thank you. And someone else or Fernando will we'll change the question. Maybe you can share more stories, Fernando. Yeah, I would like to hear Andrew talking about the usual barriers and difficulties to change towards a collaborative model? What do you have in your, in your field? Well, the first thing that comes to mind uh, goes back to how I introduced myself around the politics of health. So um, I sometimes cheekily like to describe um, the health system as like the military without the respect. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an astoundingly hierarchical uh, environment. Um, and uh, and some of that is rooted in really good things like patient safety, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, you know there are some some there's there's a reason that when you're flying in a plane you're really happy that uh, there's a hierarchy of how things work and that there's a check there's checklists used to make sure that things are done properly. You know there are rules and regulations, um, but but lots of it um, gets really uh, lots of it gets applied in in sections of the health system where that kind of uh, hierarchical way of being is, just does not serve us uh, at all. Um, the thing that I've been thinking about uh, as, as the rest of you have been talking, I, I don't think it's much of a derivation from the question you're asking, Fernando, but it's that as, as we start to introduce self-managed approaches to doing things, so we're, we're looking at introducing, oh, we, we do a lot of self-management within my own organization locally, I have a team of about 20 people um, and then a board of directors of 10 positions and um, 150 members positions. Um, as we look at doing self-management within our own team and uh, then bringing that theory to primary care health teams. Um, so family physicians working uh, in partnership with uh, other allied professionals, but the doctor not being the quarterback of the football team, but rather but being a, you know, an equal but, but different member of our healthcare team. Um, one of the things that we dance with to try to overcome that is being in constant relationship with, yes, you have more autonomy, but you also have more responsibility. Um, and so I think uh, that, that substance is, you know, there's this desperate thirst for autonomy in an organization that is so political and so hierarchical. Um, 
but it's it's a it becomes uncomfortable for people when they get into that place of autonomous action um, but then also needing to take on more responsibility because that's one of the nice things about a hierarchical environment is you you don't actually end up tend, have, tend to have that much responsibility and i don't know if nice is the right word it's not nice people rail against it but there's a certain uh cultural comfort in it a, nor a normalcy to it that takes a bit of overcoming um i'm not sure if i answered your question fernando but those are some things that are that are percolating percolating up for me yeah what's uh as you have a a good story about the terra viva organization that it's running self-managed for many 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 years how do you keep it going how it doesn't fall back or just fall away from the collaborative model uh, well first I, I will say something that i um, out of my experience within terra viva our family company to andrew also that was very interesting that a colleague of mine that fernando knows he is called hermanos and he was member of the board of the company and he was visiting the company and listening to the to to the people who are really uh, working on the basis of the company uh, uh, making the flowers and so on and uh, they he asked it well how is it functioning within these autonomous cells and so on that are called ugbs the uh, UGBs é Unidades de Gerenciamento Básico, Basic Management Units. He was asking about it and people were answering him, well, we get more responsibility. And they were telling it with a big smile, you know, we are getting more responsible for what we are doing. So, and he said, Hermano's reaction was, well, I, I thought that uh, you, you did not like it. Why, why are you saying that it is good to have more responsibility? Well, we can do it in our way. And that is, I think that is a reason that people uh, like to take more responsibility if they can do it in their own way also. And that is something I think that is a challenge uh, within this participative uh, leadership. Um, that people can do it on their self, how they would like to do it. But also you have, well, you have to obey or you have to be consequent uh, in some directions, you know. So, uh, for example, what, uh, what in the sociocracy, uh, sociocratic model is said, I heard once uh, Gerard Ennenberg, who is a Dutchman uh, and used to ride on bikes, he said, well, if you are trying to ride on a bike, straight in front you will not succeed but if you go uh, to the right and to the left and you go balancing then you will find your way and what he is he was telling is that well that is the importance that you can choose your you can uh, do it in your way but within some borders that are put there 
So you have to follow a certain road that was uh, that was there put by people. Uh, well, that came up to me listening to the self-responsibility that Andrew was saying. Could you understand me? Because uh, yes, okay. Something that came up when when we're talking about this balance between autonomy and responsibility and how we we run or we work with that within our small company um i think for some people the word responsibility sounds like you're the person to blame if all goes wrong and that's the thing that no one wants and that's why i think the word responsibility is so it's such a scary word but i am one thing I've, I learned through some people working around how, how, how we can distribute the workload is a sense of authority in terms of you're the person who's going to say what's in and what's out and you're going to manage what's going to happen, but that's, you're not the only person making it happen. You can maybe decide how it's going to happen and who you need, to, who you need on board to help you, but, but the responsibility is still fairly shared because you're going to be asking other people to help you. So um, if you, I don't know if you use the words authority or responsibility interchangeably, but it, it's that freedom. For instance, we were only a team of four, but we, we pick one of our, um, our employees and say, all right, this is your job to make sure that happens. But if you need help from myself or Lawrence, who's my business partner, then it's our responsibility to help you. But we're not going to govern how it's going to be done and when it's going to happen. That's up to you. But if it all goes wrong, it's our shared responsibility that isn't going to run because we're supposed to be helping you. But you're going to have to ask us for the help. So that's for me, being able to give some level of autonomy for people to get the work done without the full pressure of actually the buck stops only with you. That's very nice what you're saying, Carlos, because uh, sharing stories of what enables and what are the, how we, we find ways to overcome those barriers. And in Inspiral, we use a lot of agencies, a very important uh, concept. And people really like to have agency. So we always say, if you want to have agency, you really need to, okay, that's with you. So do, and if you need support, we are here to support. And we try when people really um, say, oh, I want to tackle this problem. We say, okay, so this is the support group for you. And uh, we have at least three people supporting, but it's, it's very nice. So maybe now we could share a story of, <laughs> Uh, maybe Sam can share as well. I'm taking the, the hard questions for you. Like if you could share a story of something that didn't work and how you overcome it. And yeah, maybe that could be a story to share. Yeah, I think one of the places we've been struggling in the past while is this, um, uh, this idea when something, when something's amiss, our reflex as human beings is to stay polite and to not put things in the center. And collaborative leadership is inviting us to overcome that little, um, that reflex of, of being polite or having side conversations and not dealing with it necessarily full on or collectively. And so I, we've been seeing ourselves doing this a lot and we've 
um, named it as something that we need to get better at. And so um, we recently had our team retreat and we had a full on feedback session, everyone with everybody. So like, I mean, we, we did feedback for probably a full hour to each and every one of us. And then we were like, okay, so from, from now on when we have team meetings, what about if we ended a team meeting with just offering some kind of feedback, remembering that feedback is just information. So we have so much like fear and baggage built up around that. So we can just start sharing information one to the other. It's stuff that, we that we're seeing and we're noticing that we would like to be sharing, but for some reason we kind of hold back. And can we be as specific as possible. So um, this idea of naming specifically the situation, so reminding everybody last Wednesday when we were going to starting on that project and da 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 da, and then being very specific about the behavior. It's like what happened? So this and this and this happened, and then what was the impact on me? And so then we say, and so the impact on me was that because that happened, I don't want to get involved in that project anymore. And so I being, I'm, I've been grumpy whenever we talk about that project. So you just name something like that and doing that in a way that we, it doesn't become a group discussion. So we name it and put it in the center and it's not discussed. It's not talked about. It's collectively witnessed. And we end, ending a meeting with that means that at the end of the meeting, if there are some things that, that need to be talked about, they'll be talked about afterwards. But can we just start getting better at um, finding our voices for sharing the information that makes us a little bit uncomfortable and that if we can do that, our collaborative leadership will really excel. Thank you, Sam. That's very nice advice. Does anyone would like to share a story of some challenges or barriers that you overcome and how? I have to go now to another commitment I have. So excuse me a lot. It is a very interesting conversation. I would like to stay till the end. <laughs> so let I will uh, watch the, the video afterwards than it is when it is uh, into the cloud. As, my, as you said, Mara. Okay, all the best to you. Bye bye. Sandra, um, Sam's story brought me back to that school that I was sharing about earlier. Um, one of the things that we needed to do in that situation was uh, was to create trust and to create um, to create a space where people could speak those uncomfortable things. But the kids had been quiet for years because that space wasn't there, and they were just kids, and adults wouldn't believe them. And all of those the pieces around that. So we had this really wise school counselor. Um, named Fran Jovic and she uh, went to the Justice Institute in British Columbia and she um, found a process that she brought back to the to the students and taught the students and so then the students became peer counselors or problem solvers out on the playground and adults kind of stood around and watched birds fly because the kids were taking care of everything that was all the conflict that was happening in the playground we found as a staff, however, that there was stuff percolating underneath. There were um, people um, fearful of speaking up. There were people who were having interpersonal conflicts. And there were people who, um, 
it's kind of that sidebar conversations, but not feeling free to bring that to the whole to the whole group or even to the, to one person, because it all had to be nice because it was a school. And um, so, friend friend brought that process to the staff and encouraged us to um, use to to do amongst ourselves as a team and, and interpersonally what we were asking the students to do. And it was really powerful to see what happened um, in the interviews that I did with the staff years later. That was one of the pieces that was really core to them. And it, not to get too theoretical, but it does take me to um, Dylan Bowman's book about the artistry of leadership and the importance of having that arena that's there for people to bring conflict. That there's a way that it's dealt with because it's not just Canadians, but I think internationally, that ability to deal and work through conflict is, is a very challenging space. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's create a safe space is one of the enablers. It's a basic thing for collaboration. If you don't have the safe space, it won't work at all. Fernando, would you like to follow? Andrew was willing to talk something. I'll, I'll make a quick comment because um, I was those last two comments are really making me think around the, the difficult things they often don't need to be resolved they just need to be surfaced um, and so Sandra that, I mean that was fabulous for me so we've done two things recently we've been, we've introduced um, performance development self-directed performance development and we're on the cusp of introducing self-driven uh, compensation decisions um, and we did them in that order and the performance development one like the team and I worked on that thing forever. It was absurd how long it went on, you know, uh, trying to come up with something that everyone would be comfortable with. And finally, I had to sort of, you know, throw my hands in the air moments like, look, I think this is the best that we're going to come up with. And it's totally voluntary. Just do it if you want to and don't do it if you don't want to. You know? um, and uh, I, I took too long to, to reach that place. You know, I was able to, to create safety by making it voluntary, I, but we could have gotten to that place, you know, three months earlier. We've just recently, uh, you know, put the, pr the proposal for uh, self-selected compensation on the table. And I think we're probably going to talk about it twice. And we've had the same sort of real machinations and confusion and, and, and fear about I'm going to give advice to my colleague about what they should be paid. Think about what my relationship is going to be like with them, you know. And uh, this time I don't feel that the, the requirement to resolve all these things. I'm just really, I, I just see all we need to do is make space for them. Uh, and then give flexibility in the in the application for people not to have to go into places that are really completely unsafe for them. We we were planning to ask one question, but I will combine two questions for for all of you to answer. The the original question was, uh, what might you share with others to help organizations to learn and grow into collaborative leadership? This is the original question, but the question I want to add on this it's which quality do you bring as a leader to enable this to happen? So instead of just good practice or what works or not doesn't work, what is your personal touch for this? Could you just repeat the first part of that question? That's the easy answer. What might you share with others to help organizations to evolve to a more collaborative leadership? But how callous does that? <clears throat> so I can give sort of my perspective from a small business and also from like building a community of people um it i think it's it's it requires a lot of honesty um with yourself as much as with other people um understanding what 
what it is that you you want to achieve and why you're working wherever you're working or why you're within like for instance with our community what why you exist within this community that we have and what is it that you're trying to where are you trying to get to and being able to clearly communicate that within the group wider group then it's it's easier to then know okay that person should work with me because they're doing this and they're they're not happy with this other thing or they're a bit more clear they i understand where they're coming from when then when they show a displeasure in a certain thing because i'm clear about their position um and so that for me is kind of the fundamental thing and 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 i'm, I'm quite interested in this whole idea of creating space for conflict or creating space to know that conflict can exist rather than not necessarily have to resolve it but at least know that that's what well that's what's in the room and it's being it's been aired so that it can be something that can be it provides context for anything that's going to happen further on um and then personally how i i i try to uh contribute to to a an atmosphere where it's more collaborative it's it's really about um very deep listening i think and being able to communicate in a way that isn't uh uh who's right but as more a case of knowing that you've been heard and then working from that place um and so trying to i would say fundamentally just trying to remove the ego squash the ego with, with any conversations they're having and just try and think of all right how can we how can we make the best of the situation that we have thank you who would like to go next i got a um a whole bunch of things that are coming up for me on that i think um there's all different levels. I'm going to just stick with three. So one thing that comes up for me is using visuals because in collaborative leadership, we need to have shared understanding. And the more we have visuals, the more what I've said is being spoken is like, there's a, there's a trace of it that everybody's seeing the thing that I said. And so there's no projections or confusions that are going on. And you can take a visual from one group to the next and it carries memories. And I think we underutilize visuals um, so much and they have so much power in collaborative leadership. The second is I find that meeting cultures are a microcosm of a wider culture shift. So actually as an intervention point, just shifting in a meeting, having the, the facilitation or hosting ro rotating around, the documentation rotating around, creating voluntary participation in a meeting. There's so many ways you can leverage a meeting to bring in and grow um, participate uh, collaborative leadership and i think the final one that comes for me is like the real little droplet you put in that that shows the path is around money so yes i mean just doing a shared economy experience with a group it just brings up absolutely everything I and mean, we even do it for our team retreats we put like all the budget in somebody hosts the retreat and at the end we're like how do we manage the finances of that when we work with an event or with clients and as soon as we go into a shared economy example it brings in absolutely everything around collaborative leadership in a way that's just really quite um, I don't know, amplified and fast-tracked and fun, even though it's got lots of emotion in the room. <laughs> and what's your personal touch, Sam? So, I mean, the word emergence comes up for me. It's just like this letting go of this plan and control culture and just being able to work with emergence. That's the personal flavor for me. Yes. 
I made a few notes here. My, my thinking is around um, self-awareness. So, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm armed to the teeth with all the privileges of my gender, my education, my intellect, my extroversion, you know, all the things that uh, give me uh, leadership opportunities in the non-collaborative uh, paradigm, <laughs> um, you know, and um, so, so there just, I just, there needs to be this really deep um, self-awareness around that. Um, the related piece for me, I think is um, uh, understanding the, you know, Wilbur's theory or Wilbur's work on the evolution of consciousness. So there's an, there's an element like the counterpoint to me of the sort of, um, you know, rewards I get from all those things that I am <laughs> in this environment. The, the balancing point, the spiritual perspective that lands it, for me is this idea that consciousness evolves and that consciousness can evolve and that we have a role to make that possible. Um, so uh, those, are, those are the two things I hold, I think, in answer to your question, Fernando. If, if I was to go on at length um, about, well, what do you do about that? I would be just repeating what others have said already about facilitative, you know, facilitative context. You know, I just need to get all those things that I am out of the center of the room uh, in, in the place that I'm in. So I need to be the guy that just creates the structure and lets others do all the talking and, and creates the small groups for things to be captured and, 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 you know, um, and really as much as I can limits uh, my opinion on the answer to the problem um, uh, in, all, in all the environments that I'm I think uh, just to speak to the, those two questions, I think one of the two pieces for me, the biggie um, that I'm dealing with a lot right now is around transparency and uh, vulnerability and transparency uh, connected. That I think as, um, as leaders, if we, in a collaborative space, we're, we are ultimately called to be transparent in in everything that we do in and who we are as people uh, what our challenges what our own barriers are what where as andrew just described where are we where is our privilege um where are our deficits um and being human in that space i think is absolutely absolutely uh critical and that takes huge vulnerability i think it's the it's the um struggle that people tasked as leaders, I think, often have, because there's a, I think there's that kind of expectation that goes with that, that we're going to take the lead. People will come behind. Um, so that's, that's one that I, I am watching in our own company very closely. And I had, we had a beautiful round table with uh, superintendents the other day, and one of them um, talked about collaborative leadership as being a mindset. And he talked about, he said, um, there's a releasing of power. And he said, we can do that in one of two ways. We can le release power from the top and let it drop. But our instinct when we do that is to catch it and try and protect it and save it. He said, the other way of sharing power is to release it up in your hand and let that go. And I think that there's a vulnerability to that that is, is uh, huge and scary um, and essential. And, yeah, and then the other question around, uh, for me, I think um, Carla said it so well, it's just, it's deep listening to really listen st strong and hard and deeply to the people um, with whom we work and play and live.
Thank you, Anne, for that. Well, we're just two minutes uh, away. So uh, it's so beautiful to see in different countries and continents and uh, so many wisdom and everyone trying different things. But it reminds me by listening to all your stories that it's all about practice. The more we practice, I am, that's something that it's my story. I, everything that I learned, I learned by doing in my life. And just by hearing you, it just reinforced me the importance of just keep trying different things, small things, and just being honest. If it works, if it doesn't work. And there is no magic answer to everything, but it is a path of a lot of integrity and honesty and really uh, I just wanted to to thank you all and to really say it's so beautiful to see uh, the work that you're doing because it's yeah it's a it's a very profound uh, work uh, I learned and and practice with ourselves so I've been learning over and over again to listen more to people to be able to do this work so it's a inside and outside work it's both ways all the time. So from my side, I just wanted to thank you all for these amazing stories. And maybe Fernando would like also to say something in the end. Yeah, just remembering people saying about, oh, it's a small business. Oh, it's a small something. Actually, everything that you're doing, it's not small at all. You are doing a big thing, even in small groups maybe, but the impact is huge. So that's why we, we call you to, to come together in this meeting. So thank you for coming and sharing your practice and stories and your smiles.